0: The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, Episode 26, Go Whistle. the soul of koschei the deathless is in good hands eight to be exact isabel promised lucas and jack rosamond had the egg in the corner of her cage she'd made a protective and rather beautiful shroud for it fitting for a deathless one it was decorated with a flock of cleverly woven skeletal dragons that fluttered and flew around the circumference stirred into fierce protection with the least breath of air Rosamond was busy fluttering a lacy Spanish fan she'd made at it, just to see her handiwork dance. Earlier, Jack had transferred the egg to Isabel's inventory offline through the private channel, by means of his uncle's box, which he had discovered was at once a curious toolbox and a portal of sorts. Even when Jack had put nothing in it, the box often described specific contents, odd but oddly useful bits of this and that. A fellow's got to have a place to put his bits of string when he runs out of jars, lad, his uncle had often joked. How long was a piece of string, the piece of string that tethered a man's life to this world, to all the worlds? Jack always suspected his uncle Diarmid knew the answer, down to the last primordial molecule. Lately, he was missing his uncle a lot. He'd found that he could transfer virtual objects easily through the box, which he appreciated because it meant that Moot didn't have a record, and in this case, couldn't let slip the fate of Mara's prized possession. He could also upload parts of his recent environmental builds for testing privately, under Moot's radar. Isabel found the box with the egg, but as she gave the command to open the box and put the egg into her inventory, she heard Rosamond cry with delight. She turned to see the spider rocking the rather macabre crystal ovoid and crooning over it. Well, Isabel thought, if anyone was best placed to wrap koschei around her little mm, finger, it was probably Rosamond. "'It was delivered safely to my virtual inventory, and now Rosmond is babysitting.' Isabel finished, thinking that description of Rosamond's level of maternal surveillance seemed woefully inadequate. "'Babysitting?' Lucas cried. "'It's Kosche the Deathless. He can turn himself into a lot of things. Cute and fluffy isn't one of them. Are you sure Rosmond will be able to handle him?' Despite what he'd been told, he still saw Rosamond as a fragile, elderly beldame who needed to be kept safe from harm. Well, she won't let me near it. She seems happy as a clam. Rosamond glared, sniffed, and turned away, crossing several pairs of arms. Please excuse the lowly bivalve comparison, my queen, Isabel amended deferentially. We have to remember, she's a Nancy's great auntie. I'm pretty sure that as far as volatile or dangerous things in small packages go, this probably isn't her first rodeo. Rosmond nodded and uncrossed her arms, waving one in the air as if circling a lariat overhead. Mara's going to try and get her own back on you for stealing the egg and swans are her messengers to the underworld. We hardly want her mm, head-hunting the swan of endless tales into a new career, or snatching back the prize she plans to make you so dearly pay for. So the egg is best with us," Isabel concluded. Jack and Lucas agreed. Her tactics are for the birds. Sometimes, Jack said, "We've still got Maria of the Iron Teeth to pluck from the story world." He finished frowning. For the birds, Lucas thought. Thanks, Jack. You've given me an idea. See you at the story. Lucas signed off in a happy rush. Any idea what that was about? Jack asked Isabel. Not a clue, but I can't wait to find out, Isabel replied. Lucas decided that in order to defeat a murderous swan, one might do worse than employ the services of a thieving nightingale he welcomed the audience into a setting that was described as three golden towers with balconies and seats, the roof beams arching and connecting with each other, creating distinct but interconnected structures. These were surrounded by climbing and hanging gardens, and there were fields, orchards, and forests beyond, like a patchwork of enameling and jewels. Lucas, as Yvonne, stood on a center platform built between the three towers. Good evening, friends, he began. We've heard tales of Mihailo Ivanovich the rover and of Dobrynya the dragon slayer. Tonight, let us consider one of the adventures of the third member of the epic trio, Ilya of Murom. This story is one of Ilya's first and best known adventures. We call him the Old Cossack, but truly, This story took place when he was young and fearless, though it changed him forever. Now it happened one high holy day. Young Ilya went to church and swore that he would set out for Kiev after the service by the straight way, and selling neither his blades nor his hands directly with the blood of Holy Russia's enemies in keeping with the peaceful intent of the religious observances he had just made. Oaths are things sworn that are too silly or impractical to stand up to rational thought, Mara mused, but didn't interject. He set out on his mighty bay steed Cloudfall, who was a magnificent beast, able to gallop like the wind, seeming to skim just under the clouds, leaping from mountain to mountain and creating lakes and valleys with his churning hooves wherever he landed. As he approached Chernigov, Ilya saw three foreign hosts arrayed on the steppe before him, commanded by three foreign princes, enemies numbering in the thousands. Elia remembered his oath not to shed blood with bladed weapons, and so he plucked two oaks up by their roots. One he fixed to his stirrup like a lance, and the other he brandished like a club. He made short work of the three hosts without drawing steel or getting a drop of blood on his hands. He entered the formerly besieged town and found most of Chernigov's great and good cowering in church, receiving the sacraments and saying their final prayers as if preparing to die. Why do you carry on so? Ilya asked. The townsfolk cried that their fate was sealed. They were sure to be overrun by foreign invaders any minute, and so all who were able had come to make their peace with God. Nonsense, Ilya chided them. Go up onto the wall of your city and look out onto the plain. The citizens beheld Ilya's devastating attack on the invaders, corpses as far as the eye could see. Stay, great hero, and rule over us, the population implored, offering Ilya the Tsardom and bowls made of beaten red gold, silver, and pearls as gifts. Ilya rejected their tribute and only asked to be directed by the straightest route to Kiev so that he could fulfill the rest of his vow. The straight road is five hundred versts, the way around is twice that, "'But three mighty obstacles bar the straight path,' the townsfolk affirmed, "'counseling him to take the longer route. "'What are the things in my way?' Ilya asked. "'The first, they said, "'are the mountains. "'The second is Smorodina River, nearly six versts across "'and the black bog surrounding its course. "'The third is Nightingale the Robber.' who has his nest built across seven great oaks, and who can whistle like a bird, roar like a lion, and hiss like a dragon. Even when he but whistles, the forests bow to the earth, and any way is lost. Undaunted, Elia took the straight way. Cloudfall, his mighty steed, leaped over the mountains as if they were mere tussocks in the grass. He soared over the raging Smorodina River, uprooting trees in his wake. These, along with others he pulled up from the damp earth himself, Ilya threw over the black morass as they went, setting a roadbed still used today by honest travellers, probably as celebrated there as the Roman roads are in England. Finally, they came to the nest of Nightingale the Robber, spread over seven great oaks, just as the people of Chernikov had said. Nightingale peered over the edge of his nest, his golden curls waving. He stared down at the true intruders and began to whistle softly. Then he roared, and then he hissed. Trees collapsed around them, the ground began to buckle, faraway mountains crumbled, and nearer stone exploded into dust and shards. At this sight and sound, the fearless Cloudfall's stout heart failed him, and he dropped to his knees, shaking so hard Ilya nearly fell from the saddle. In utter disgust, Ilya screamed at his faithful, stricken mount, You flatulent grassbag! Have you never heard a bird sing, the cry of an animal, or the hiss of a snake? Mindful of his earlier oath, Ilia fitted his bow with a sharpened twig and told it, Fly true, my little dart. Enter the rogue's right eye and exit his left ear. The untipped arrow flew truly, and Nightingale dropped from his nest. Ilia grabbed him by his golden curls and used these like lengths of rope to truss him up, tying him to Cloudfall's stirrup. Ilya dragged his prisoner to his own home, a domain featuring a beautiful series of interconnected towers like these, built on platforms high above the tree canopy, on seven pillars spanning seven versts of ground, with sufficient palatial towers for the robber and his wife, nine sons and seven daughters, one of whom, Elena, was a powerful one-eyed witch. All around this compound was an iron and steel fence, each post topped with the spiked head of a hero who had tried to breach it. As they saw the approaching company, the children cried that their father had brought them a mortal to play with and feast upon. It is our father being led like captured prey, the sharp-eyed Elena cried. We'll turn ourselves into ravens and shred him to pieces with our iron beaks, cried the robber's nine sons. Without waiting for her brothers, Elena pulled a skull-topped steel post free and wielded it like a staff against Ilya. He dodged the blow and kicked Nightingale's eldest daughter higher than the spire on the cathedral in the capital, shattering her bones and hide against the courtyard wall. "'Foolish children!' the robber cried. "'Do not fight this hero. "'Bring him gold, silver, pearls and gems from my stores. "'Anything he wants.' "'Ilya planted his spear in the ground, tip uppermost. "'Even if you heaped treasure until it hid the tip of my spear, "'I would accept nothing from you.' "'Ilya remounted Cloudfall, and the three of them sped towards Kiev.' When he arrived at the court of Prince Vladimir, Ilya charged Cloudfall to guard the much-subdued Nightingale. Ilya joined the prince's court at church, and after the service, the prince said reprovingly, You took your time. No, my lord, I came by the straight way from Murom to Kiev. You're lying the prince accused. There are mountains, the Smuridina River, the Black Bog, and the Lair of Nightingale the robber along the direct route. I scaled the mountains, forded the river, built a road over the marsh, and dragged Nightingale here for your inspection and judgment, my prince, Ilya bowed. The prince ordered the robber to be brought before him. If you are the mighty Nightingale the magic bird, the prince challenged, I command you to whistle like a bird, roar like a lion, and hiss like a dragon. Not too strongly, my prince, Ilya warned. Though chastened, this rogue is still capable of great mischief. Unheeding, Nightingale took a deep breath and held forth for all he was worth. Whistling, roaring, and hissing, his Ilia grabbed the prince and princess, shielding them from the onslaught. While all around him, a percussive wave of sound came against the palace walls, spreading out into the city, killing anyone who didn't listen and deafening many who tried to hear themselves. Enraged, Ilia drew his sword and dispatched the robber who, dying, whistled a mournful song like a last curse which faded into silence. But the tune was a spell, stolen long ago from a powerful wizard. Every breeze that carried it, every blade of grass or leaf that breeze rustled, every ear that heard it, however faintly or painfully after, carried some bit of nightingale through that spell song. And though Elia is said to have pounded the magic bird into poppy seeds, and from the seeds sprang the harmless and lovely songbirds we know as nightingales today, even in the seeds we consume a little of the robber's spirit with our festive bread to this day. And we must recall, too, Elia was young when he began this adventure gray-haired and haunted in his very soul by Nightingale's final song when he completed it, though he went on to many more quests and much more glory, he paid a price to become a hero. And only time will tell if he truly kept or ultimately broke the oath he swore, or if it was wise and noble to do so. Lucas fell silent. The Decameron Shuffled Five of Hearts. It's like watching computer ping pong, Mara thought. Back and forth, back and forth. Ugh. In the public channel, she graciously complimented the story, appreciating the twist allowing for the persistence of the villain. Never liked poppy seeds myself, though, she said. Hard to get out of my teeth. She said goodbye and signed off. Lucas. Jack and Isabel were saying their farewells when they heard the plaintive sound of quiet whistling. Moot said, There's someone here to see you before you go. He is tall, thin, has long curly golden hair, and a patch over one eye. Nightingale the robber bowed low before the companions. I hear you've got a little problem with a black swan he said. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.